Amen. What an incredible joy together with the people of God and to reflect on this first Sunday of Advent on this Christmas season. We do begin Advent this week as believers in the Lord reflecting on Christ's first coming and its intended purpose in our hearts and lives now and the reflection on the second coming of Christ. But we actually won't begin looking at our Christmas series, if you will, from the text of Scripture until next week. Why? Because today we conclude the book of Romans. A year and a half, and we are now concluding the book of Romans. If you're visiting with us this morning, let me extend to you a warm welcome. We're grateful for your being with us today. It is our habit here at Woodlawn to preach through books of the Bible, for we believe that God has equally spoken in all 66 books of the Bible. And if we want to know who is God, we must know him through his word. And so we want to give ourselves to the preaching and teaching and reflection of the word of God. For there, God has revealed himself to you and to me as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We conclude our time today in this incredible text of scripture in the book of Romans as we have climbed the Mount Everest of doctrinal passages of scripture. And here we have seen together and rejoiced with one another in the truths that God has indeed spoken to us. For we reflect and remember and learn from the book of Romans that each of us are on the same level playing field. For all of us, apart from Christ, are sinners separated from God. But God, through Christ, has done all that is necessary for any person who by faith would trust in Christ to receive salvation. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. We come to these concluding remarks here in Romans chapter 16. And Paul, in some ways, kind of just closes the letter. It reminds me of what my wife says to me about my conversations with her. I'm sure you men have experienced this before. You're having a conversation with your wife, and you think it's over, and so you just kind of abruptly turn around and and walk away while she is still kind of talking to you, right? And she says something like, I wasn't finished. And you say, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were finished. And then what does she say to you? You're not paying attention to me. Well, Paul just kind of abruptly brings the book of Romans to a close here. And if you're not paying close attention, perhaps at the end of chapter 15, you think he's finished. And so you're ready to turn and walk away, but not just yet. Romans chapter 16 Paul reminds us in this passage of Scripture that the gospel reaches all people. The gospel reaches all people, places us in relationship with others, calls us to obedience and service with others, and lastly, brings eternal glory to God. Notice what Paul does here in verses 1 through 16. He reminds us that the gospel reaches all people and places us as believers in relationship with others. Hear how he communicates this truth in verses 1 through 16. I commend you, our sister Phoebe, 
a servant of the church at uh, Synchria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca, or you might remember the name Priscilla. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, one of a few husband and wife teams that are mentioned here in Romans 16. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apiellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet the workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryposa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Philagian, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who were with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who were with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now just be honest, Romans 16 is one of those passages of Scripture as you're reading through the book of the Bible and you get to chapter 16, you say, I'm just skipping all of that because I can't pronounce one of those names, right? And in doing so, you miss an incredible revelation of God to you and me as he seeks to communicate to us this truth. The gospel reaches all people and places us as his body, the people of God in relationship with one another. This greeting that Paul gives, this revelation of all of these names, is varied in a number of different ways. Obviously, there are listed men and women. There are Jews and there are Gentiles listed. There are freed men and women, and there are slaves that are listed. And we're reminded through the reading of this text of Scripture exactly what Paul set out to communicate to us at the very beginning of the book of Romans. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. This is a beautiful reflection of the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as it was spreading throughout the known world. What else, brothers and sisters? What else? 
places people from such a diverse background and places them together and causes them to love one another other than the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This narrative is so contrary to everything we experience in culture. This narrative is so contrary to everything we just experience in our own, uh, in our own hearts and minds apart from Christ. We tend to be drawn to people who look like us, think like us, act like us, or in the same socioeconomic background as us. But Paul is reminding us through this listing of the power of the gospel. Think what he's been trying to tell us from Romans chapter 12 through Romans chapter 15. The gospel defined and enunciated in Romans chapter 1 through 11. We get to Romans chapter 12 and there through chapter 15, Paul fleshes out for us in a very practical way all of the benefits of the gospel in the hearts and the lives of those who by faith have trusted in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It changes the way we think. It changes the way in which we respond to one another. Think how much time Paul spent in this latter half of the book of Romans encouraging us and commanding us to love one another. What causes us to love people who are so drastically different than we are? Paul says there's only one thing. Only the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ accomplishes the beauty of this diverse text of Scripture in Romans 16, 1 through 16. He begins by recommending Phoebe to us. This is the only time Phoebe is mentioned to us in the text of Scripture. More than likely, as Paul is writing the book of Romans from Corinth, she's from a little community that's just a little ways outside of Corinth. More than likely, Phoebe is the one who has actually taken the letter of Romans and brought it from Corinth to Rome for the churches, the house churches here in this community, to read this letter from the Apostle Paul. We also learn a few things about Phoebe in this text of Scripture in verses 1 and 2. We learn that, obviously, she is a woman of great influence and wealth. But notice what Phoebe has done with the influence and the wealth that God has given her. She has leveraged the influence and the wealth that God has given her for the advancement of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, there are so many of you seated in this auditorium this morning who are Phoebes in the context of Woodlawn Baptist Church. And in fact, I would say every one of us in the context of first century Rome versus 21st century America, regardless of what income you might have at the very present, would be considered a Phoebe. We would all be considered exceedingly wealthy compared to what first century Rome looked like. Notice what Paul says, verse 2. Welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need for you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Paul is saying in the same way in which she has been generous and kind and hospitable to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church in Rome, when she comes to you, extend that same sense of hospitality and generosity and kindness to her. 
And by the way, this is exactly what Paul has been communicating, particularly in Romans 14 and 15, is he not? We as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be the most generous, hospitable people in all the world. Why? Because Christ has been so generous to you and to me, it changes who we are. So the first mention that Paul gives us is a woman of great wealth who is using the gifts and resources God has given her for the advancement of the kingdom of God. If Paul were to write a letter to another church across the country today and write it from the church at Woodlawn Baptist, might your name appear in verses 1 and 2? How might he reflect on you? In what way, brother and sister, are you using the resources that God has given you for the advancement of the kingdom of God, not only in the context of our faith family, not only in the context of our community, not only in the context of our state, not only in the context of our country, but how about around the world? Paul mentions Phoebe here in verse 1. And two. And then he moves now in verses two through sixteen, and he, he lists again a very diverse group of people. The first two people he mentions here, Priscilla and Aquila, are two are two Jewish converts to, to Christianity. You might remember they were with Paul both in Corinth and in Ephesus. In Ephesus, when Paul was surrounded by that unruly crowd, in Ephesus eighteen and nineteen. Uh, more than likely, Priscilla and Aquila are two people that helped Paul escape the situation there. Hence, verse 4, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Aquila and Priscilla, a dynamic duo, if you will, of a husband and wife, like Phoebe, were leveraging the resources that God had given them for the advancement of the kingdom of God. They were co-workers with the Apostle Paul in this gospel ministry around the world. But then notice verse 5. The next name Paul mentions is a Gentile name. He mentioned two Jewish names. Now he mentions a, a Gentile name, Epinetus. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Isn't that amazing that Paul knows who the first person was who trusted Christ in Asia? Obviously one who was, who was well known, a freed man. Then verse 6, he, he moves back to listing some Jewish names for us. Mary, of course, is a Jewish name. You'll remember that name from the the Gospels, Mary, who has worked hard for you, greet Andronicus and Junia, another husband and, and wife duo, more, more than likely. But notice what he says about them. They are my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Now, obviously, a number of things are taking place here in Romans chapter 16, Interestingly enough, you might think this is a rather boring listing of names, but this one chapter, just in a few verses, have filled libraries full of books pontificating on 
a number of these characters to try to make arguments on a variety of different things. For example, you'll notice already listed are a number of women. What is the designation that Paul gives to Phoebe back up in verses 1 and 2? He says, Phoebe is a diakonos. She is a servant. We also translate our English word from that, deacon. Now notice what he's saying here uh, down in verse, verse 7 about Andronicus and Junia. Up until the 13th century, it was settled understanding that Junia was indeed a lady. Following the 13th century, there became a conversation regarding Junia and it being maybe translated Junius, which would be a man, and primarily the purpose of that was the context or, or the words that Paul uses to describe Andronicus and Junia. Your Bible and my Bible, from an English standpoint, kind of smooths this Greek sentence out for us, and my Bible reads, they are well known to the apostles. But quite literally, Paul is commending Andronicus and Junia to the church at Rome as being apostolos, as being an apostle. So wait a minute, time out we might think. Is Paul arguing from Romans chapter 16 that the church should accept women deacons and women as apostles? And the answer is no. If we read the listing of the qualifications for the office of diakonos, deacon, Paul is exceedingly clear in the listing of, of those characteristics that he has given, God has given to his church leadership, and that leadership rests in the context of the local church with men. So Paul is commending, as oftentimes the New Testament will do, using the word diakonos in a variety of different meanings. And one way, every single person seated in this building this morning is a diakonos of Christ. Every one of us are to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, if you are in Christ today, you are a deacon. But in terms of the office of the local church, the text of Scripture has reserved that office for qualified men. What about this term apostle? Is Paul saying that uh, Junia should be an apostle? Is he commending women for the office of apostle? There are a number of things taking place here. First, I'd like to argue to you that the office of apostle has ceased. An apostle was someone who had, in terms of office, was someone who had been directly sent out by Jesus Christ himself. We have the original 12 apostles plus one. The apostle Paul. But Paul himself had an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ himself on the Damascus road. And so what is Paul doing here with this term apostolos in relationship to Andronicus and Junia? In the same way that every one of us are in a very real way a diakonos, so too are we an apostolos. Every one of us 
are an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be perfectly normal for you to walk around and introduce yourself today as, hi, I'm Apostle Lewis. Now you might scare a few people off. They might think you're weird. But what does Paul mean by this term, apostle? Apostle is a broader term that means missionary. And friends, every one of us are sent out. We are sent out by Christ to be a missionary in our homes, in our communities where we live, in our workforces, on the soccer field, wherever it might be where God has placed you, all of us are called to be one who is sent out by Christ himself, a missionary with the purpose of declaring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps Andronicus and Junia, as Paul noted here, were believers before him. Perhaps they were part of the 500 that Christ commissioned to go out following his resurrection. Perhaps, indeed, they were two people who were there and saw the person of the Lord Jesus Christ right, before, uh, right after his resurrection and have, have been sent out to proclaim this gospel narrative. They are kinsmen. They are fellow prisoners. They've given up a lot for the sake of the gospel. And then notice what Paul does in verse 8. He returns to a Gentile name. Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Urbanus, verse 9. Verse 10, Apelles, who is approved in Christ, greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Now, Aristobulus is an interesting name. Historically, we for sure know something about him. He was, Aristobulus was, the son of Herod Agrippa, which would have made him the great-grandson of Herod the Great. Now, if you've been to Israel and you've toured Israel before, a lot of the artifacts that you see in Israel today, for example, the Temple Mount was constructed and built by Herod the Great. So we know that Aristobulus dies, and after Aristobulus dies, it would have been completely normal for all of his slaves to have left him and became the possession of the, of the next emperor, who would have been Claudius. And there's a connection with Claudius, by the way, uh, in, in the next verse, in a listing of narcissists. So might it be, friends, listen to this, might it be that the way the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ originally made its way to Rome was through some Jewish slaves to, uh, um, to, the, great, to the grandson of Herod the Great, who after um, he dies are brought into the city of Rome under Claudius's control. Just think about that. God didn't send, perhaps he didn't send the influential in culture, perhaps he didn't send the wealthy of culture to take the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to a place where it had never been preached. Perhaps the Lord used these slaves who were the possession of another to go to Rome and take the glorious gospel of Christ to a people who have never heard. And we're reminded through this listing, friend, 
regardless of who we are. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and it has the power to transform and to change every person on the face of this world. But we're reminded these guys were slaves. They didn't have freedom like you and I do. What's our excuse for not taking the gospel across the street? What's our excuse this morning for not taking the gospel into our workforce? What's our excuse this morning for not taking the gospel into the context of our homes? This family of Aristobulus, slaves, possessions of another human, saw the beauty and the glory of Christ and perhaps were the first ones who took the gospel of Christ to Rome. Verse 11, Paul resumes back to mentioning a Jewish name. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Uh, Narcissus was one who served Claudius. So there's the connection with, with Claudius. Uh, greet those in the Lord. Tryphena and Troposa, more than likely, Tryphena and Troposa were, were sisters, and perhaps they were even twins. And listen here, young men who are pursuing a wife or husbands, this would be a very romantic way to speak to your wife tonight. I challenge every one of you to go home, you married men particularly, and look intimately into the face of your wife and say to her, you darling are my Troposus. Are you guys looking for a young woman to marry? Find one and look intimately into her eyes and say, sweetheart, you are my Trophina. These are two words that mean dainty and delicate. You see, you'll score some points here, men, tonight, okay? And then uh, you can thank me later, okay? You didn't know how interesting the listing of these names were, did you? Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Don't you love the designations of these names? Wouldn't you like to know more about Rufus? Rufus is one who is chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. We don't know what Rufus did. We don't know much about him. But for some reason, he was worthy of a mention by Paul as being one who was chosen by God. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, you can be known by a lot of things by people in this church family, but perhaps the greatest thing any of us can be known as, as one who was chosen by the Lord. Are you living your life in that way? When others interact with you, do they see the character of Christ in you? When they hear you speak, when they, when they interact with you, can they see something in you that is different about all other people? One who is chosen in the Lord. Greta Centricus, Pelagian Hermes, Patrobus, 
Hermas and the brothers who were with them. Greek Philogus and Julia, another husband and wife team perhaps. Nereus and his sister in Olympia, Olympus, and all the saints were with them. And look at verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Why in the world is Paul giving to us this diverse list of names? For he reminds us, friends, that the gospel is for all people. And what does the gospel do for us? It places us in relationship with one another. Friend, I don't care what your background is today. I'm not concerned about your gender. I'm not concerned about your socioeconomic background, your social status. I'm not concerned with your ethnicity. As brothers and sisters in Christ, those things do not matter. What matters? Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Am I in Christ? And if we are in Christ, then we share the greatest thing in all the world in common. We are in Christ. And these other things are completely, totally tertiary. It reminds us, friends, of our great need for one another. Could Paul accomplish the gospel ministry that God has given him by himself? No. He lists these names and he tells us all of these things these people have done for him. Friends, trust me, we talk to missionaries around the world, some of whom are the only believers in a community, and it is exceedingly difficult. It weighs heavily upon their hearts and their minds. There is a complete lack of connection and fellowship and encouragement. God never intended for you and me to live our lives solely by ourselves in relationship with Christ. There is no such thing as a solo Christian in the context of the New Testament. God has placed every one of us to live out our lives in relationship to one another. In other words, friends, we all desperately need one another. Look to your neighbor and say, I need you. Notice what Paul does next in verses 17 through 20. He reminds us that the gospel calls us to obedience. Listen to what he says. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. What do you do with people who are obstinate and cause division? Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive, for your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What is this intended purpose of the gospel in our hearts and lives, friends. The intended purpose of this gospel narrative is what Paul communicates here in verse 19. 
our obedience. This is what Paul has been arguing for following Romans chapter 12, 12, 13, 14, and 15. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, and that you be not conformed to this world, but, be you, but that you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The intended purpose of the gospel in my life and in your life is that we might walk obediently to God. And what does Paul do for us first? He shows us that there, is, there are some who are disobedient. There are people in the context of a faith family who are disobedient to this gospel narrative. There are people who are going to masquerade themselves as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're so easy to pick out. They reveal themselves so easily. They're the people who are always causing dissension. They are the gossips. Friends, it is not a good thing for you to be known as the church gossip. That's not a name you want to carry. It's not a good thing to be known as the person who is continually stirring up strife. Notice what Paul says about that person. They're after one thing. Your Bible and my Bible translates it something along the lines of, for such person, verse 18, does not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Or perhaps your Bible translates it, their own bellies. Or their own belly. Perhaps there's a connection here to what Paul has just finished stating in chapter 12, 13, 14, and 15 the connection between those who are wanting to enforce certain dietary laws upon the church. Paul's already had an extended conversation about how we are to walk in unison with one another. We're not intentionally trying to uh, anger each other, and sometimes we have to lay aside certain deeply held convictions in order to pursue unity in the body of Christ. We've talked about this before, not convictions concerning those first-tier issues, not convictions concerning the exclusivity of Christ, not convictions concerning the gospel is the only way into uh, right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But those opinions that some of us hold, implications of the gospel in the hearts and lives of people. But notice what Paul says. There's a temptation where we can push that too far. Avoid those people who cause divisions. Verse 19 and pursue obedience. Woodlawn, I want to commend you. I want to commend you, for it is a joy of mine in conversations that I have all the time with pastor friends to always give thanks to the Lord for the opportunity of serving an incredible local congregation. There aren't too many churches like you. Your obedience is well established even in the context of this community. When I got ready to come to Woodlawn almost 10 years ago, I reached out to a good friend of mine who was serving at another local church here who had also been raised in Baton Rouge. We went to college together and seminary together. And when I shared with him the church that I was having conversations with, he was like, man, 
That's an incredible church. That's one of the churches in Baton Rouge that has not spent its time fighting and fussing. They're not known as that type of church. And 10 years later, friends, I can give testimony to God's grace in your hearts and in your lives. You are a congregation that walks faithfully with God. And you make it really easy and joyful to serve in your context. How does that come about, friends? As we regularly submit ourselves to the Word of God, as we passionately pursue the mission of God. Perhaps you're visiting with us this morning, you think, well, my gracious, this pastor just said this church is perfect. No, there's one way you can know this church is not perfect. I'm preaching this morning. And in case you think I'm perfect, come over this afternoon. There's a chance. My wife said amen. There's a chance that you'll see me get angry or something. Slim chance. There's a chance. We're not a perfect congregation. We do have to encourage one another. We do have to challenge one another. We do have to, uh, to encourage one another to continually pursue Christ. But if I could write a letter this morning and reflect on this congregation to another, I would join with the Apostle Paul in writing of Woodlawn Baptist, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. And look what Paul says. I want you to follow the teachings of Christ. You remember what Jesus said in the Gospels? Be wise as serpents, and harmless as doves. This is what Paul is reflecting on here at the end of verse 19. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. But know this, friends, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Don't fret. We live in an evil world. And in case you thought we lived in a good world, the last two years should have completely shown you we live in an evil world. But Christians should not fret. We should not worry. Some of these Christian people in Rome were going to be facing imminent death. They were going to be placed into the Colosseum and eaten alive by bears. But what does Paul say to them? Fear not. God is going to crush Satan under your feet. And that gospel truth, friends, continues to guide and shape our hearts as we as believers, even in America, continue to operate in a shrinking minority way even in this country. In the South, we've had a privilege that many around the world have not had to live and to grow up in mostly Christian cultures. But those cultures are fastly slipping away. How will you respond? Paul says, don't fear. God still reigns sovereign 
over his creation. The gospel reaches all people, and places us in relationship with one another. The gospel calls us to obedience. Look what Paul says in verses 21, 22, 23. The gospel places us in partnership with others. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius is host to me, and to the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Paul has given us this list of names again, and these are a list of names of people who have been in partnership with him in gospel ministry. You might remember from the book of Philippians, when Paul begins the book of Philippians, he prays and he gives thanks to the church at Philippi, for they are what? Partners in gospel ministry. Friends, we ought to regularly be giving thanks to God for people that are partners with us in gospel ministry. This is one of the reasons why, friends, we pray every Sunday. And I hope it's not just on a Sunday morning. I hope that you're praying for these churches and these countries throughout the week. This is one of the reasons why we pray for a different church every Sunday and throughout the week. We ought to be thankful that God has given us other gospel partners in our community with whom we have the joy of serving and proclaiming the gospel around the world. And Paul is saying, I'm thankful for these gospel partners who have come alongside me for this ministry. Now, verse 22 might be a surprise to many of you. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Now, how many of you thought Paul wrote Romans? Well, if you read closely all of Paul's letters, he always had a scribe. Paul has dictated this letter. Tertius is one who was gifted in in writing in the letters, and he has written this letter. Imagine if God had not sent Paul this gospel partner for ministry. Imagine taking the book of Romans out of your Bible today. The gospel saves all people, places us in relationship with each other, calls us to obedience. The gospel grants us other gospel partners. And notice what he says lastly here in verses 25 through 27. The gospel brings eternal glory to God. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for ages, for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul concludes the book of Romans on this high note reminding us that the intended focus of this narrative of Jesus, this focus of this 
Jesus, who has come to bring about redemption and to save lost people, was for a purpose. The glory of God. Paul begins his doxology in a way that highlights exactly what God has done. God is one who is able to strengthen you and me. God is the one who grants the power to the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you and I persevere in the faith? He tells us the end of verse 25 down through verse 27. We persevere in this gospel narrative, not because of who we are, not because of anything that we've done, but completely and totally because of who He is. We are held fast by the gospel, through the gospel, through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of the Spirit in our hearts and our lives. I don't have to do anything in order for Christ to hold me fast. As Paul concludes this gospel narrative, he's reminded us that all of us are sinners. He's reminded us that we should be like Abraham and by faith come, come into right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the Father. He's reminded us of the power of sin and our need to desperately run from it. Chapter 8, he's shown us the beauty of walking by the Spirit. We have all of these benefits of walking in right relationship with God. And he closes with a summary statement of the power of this gospel narrative. It holds us fast. Does your faith seem to be failing this morning? Do you seem weakened in faith? Do you find yourself lacking trust at times? To whom should we turn when we have those moments of struggle along this road of sanctification? The local Christian bookstore? No. Dr. Phil? No. To him who is able to strengthen you. Friends, not only has God done everything necessary for you and me to come into a right relationship with him, he's also done everything that is necessary for us to continue in right relationship with him. How? through this gospel narrative. Notice what he says about this gospel. This gospel is a narrative that was, was sealed, was hidden. But this gospel narrative has now been revealed. It's been disclosed. It's been disclosed to us in the same format he says that it has in some ways been hidden in. But has now, verse 26, been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God, for what purpose? To bring about faith. 
when Paul is reflecting on the, the text of Scripture, when he's reflecting on verse 26, these prophetic writings, he's, he's reflecting upon the Old Testament. There's a sense in which this gospel narrative is hidden in the Old Testament. But at the same time, there's a sense in which this gospel narrative is completely, totally revealed. Revealed how, friends? Through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and His Spirit. See, friends, today it's still impossible for you or for me to find Jesus apart from the work of the Spirit in our lives. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the ruler of this world has blinded our eyes. This, my friends, is why Paul is so passionate about the gospel. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 4, he has an obligation. He's indebted to go and proclaim this gospel narrative. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. This is why Paul concludes the book of Romans with this gospel narrative because it not only brings us to faith in Christ, it keeps us in faith with Christ. For what purpose? To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. The intended focus of the gospel narrative in my life and in your life is for you and me to live our lives on a daily basis, bringing glory to God. Friend, in what way does your life bring glory to God today? In what way is your life a depiction of the beauty of the glory of God in Christ? In what way to your coworkers, to your family, to your neighbors, in what way are you revealing this gospel narrative? In what way are you making much of God? Paul says the totality. The intended purpose of this gospel narrative, Woodlawn, is that we bring glory to God forevermore through Jesus. Not only in what way are you as an individual, how are we as a congregation leveraging the resources that God has given us to make much of God to a world that so desperately needs to hear the gospel of Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for the beauty of this book. We thank you that we've climbed to the highest and we've mined all the way down down to the lowest and here in this text of scripture God you have shown to us your glory your glory 
that we are sinners separated from God, that, that apart from you, Jesus, not only now, but for all of eternity, we are separated from you, but your glory and that you sent Jesus. Jesus, the one who knew no sin, but became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And you've placed this God in right relationship, not only with you, but with one another. So that collectively, we might bring glory to you. Would you spend a few moments where you're seated this morning and reflect on the preaching of God's word? In your own life, through your own connections, in what way do you see this gospel narrative going forth? In your own life, and in your own in your own connections, who do you see coming to faith in Christ? If you were to write a list this morning of people who have come to faith in Christ because of your obedience of faith. Who would be listed? With whom are you partnering today to make much of Jesus? If you could give, write a letter and give thanks to God What names of people would you list because they've been genuine, true partners with you in gospel ministry? Perhaps, Woodlawn, one way for you to respond to this text of Scripture would be for you to do exactly that. When you write a letter this week to a brother or sister in Christ in the context of this church and thank them for being good gospel partners. In what way, friend, do you see the obedience of faith being lived out in your life? In what way are you pursuing the unity of the body of Christ at Woodlawn? In what ways do you sense that perhaps you cause division of which you need to repent and seek another's forgiveness and Christ's forgiveness? In what way do you see your life lived out in a passionate pursuit for the glory of God.
Are you leveraging your resources today for that advancement? Are you using your time for that advancement? Are you using your participation in this body of Christ for that advancement? Or are you kind of seated on the sidelines, waiting saying, Lord, in a year, in two years, once I retire, once we have our first child, once I complete college, I'm going to get in the game, Lord, and live my life for your glory. Friend, if you're not willing to live your life for God's glory now, today, tomorrow will never come for you. In just a moment, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word. Maybe you're here today and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ. This would be an opportunity for you to come forward. Myself and Pastor Travis will be down front. We'd be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ. Or friend, please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you. For there are plenty of people seated around you that would be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ. Secondly, perhaps you'd like for Pastor Travis or I just to pray with you that the truths of this text of Scripture might indeed be true in your life. Perhaps you'd like for us to pray with you concerning a person at your work that you're pursuing with Christ, that they would come to faith in Christ. We would delight in shepherding your heart today by praying for you. Thirdly, Maybe God has placed upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Christ. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. God, as we respond to you now, might our responses be pleasing to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.